Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to this edition of World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rahman. Today we're looking at the crisis in relations between India and Pakistan and the threat of war. Joining me on the line from Delhi is our bureau chief there, Amy Kasman, and on the line from Islamabad is our Pakistan correspondent, Fahan Bakari. And I'd like to start by asking you both the obvious question: How high is the risk that this round of tit-for-tat retaliation, started with a terrorist bombing in Kashmir, then airstrikes by India, then Pakistan shooting down an Indian pilot, how high is the risk that this escalates into an actual war? Amy first. I think we're at a very crucial juncture in this fast-evolving situation here, and I think that the risks of escalation are quite high. Basically, India carried out this strike on Tuesday, which it described as an attack on a terror camp, a preemptive strike designed to prevent future attacks. And in its response to what Pakistan has done today, it has accused Pakistan of bombing Indian military installations along the line of control. So both sides are really testing the limits of how far can they push each other without going over the line and who will back down first and there is a lot of risk of miscalculation of this. I think in fact the situation is very dangerous. Some people suggest there is a possibility for de-escalation. The fact that Pakistan now has an Indian Air Force wing commander in its custody gives it something of a bargaining chip. It also gives India an incentive to be careful about what it does in response. But it's a really, really unpredictable situation and really quite dangerous because it must be remembered that both countries have nuclear weapons and really everyone is sort of braced to try to understand is this going to escalate or are both sides going to say okay we did this to you you did this to us let's have some back channel diplomacy and try to defuse the situation which could involve maybe handing back the indian pilot to india and that could provide a path to de-escalation but it's far from certain that that's what's going to happen Fahan from where you're sitting in Islamabad what's the risks of escalation look like Well in several conversations that I've had with western diplomats Pakistani officials members of prime minister Imran Khan's cabinet lots of people have said that logically speaking two nuclear armed countries cannot go to war but I think people ignore the possibility of something quite accidental happening without necessarily the intent one incident leading to another leading to a third one and before we know it it's a bigger escalation i think that is really the danger and this must suggest to people outside this part of the world especially that eventually international powers are going to intervene or some other development is going to sway both india and pakistan back from the brink but i think it's really the accidental occurrence of some kind which is the big 
risk. Sure. I mean, Amy Fahan refers to them going to the brink and to maybe people in the outside world thinking, well, they won't go over it, surely. And that's partly, don't you think, because there is a record of India-Pakistan conflicts. I believe there have been three, depending how you want to classify it, maybe four wars between the two countries since independence in the late 1940s. That's right, Gideon. I mean, Fahan rightly said that logically nobody really has an incentive to keep escalating and logically they should want to try to defuse. Two nuclear-armed powers should want to defuse this kind of tension and not necessarily see it escalate and potentially escalate out of control. But I'm afraid that when it comes to India-Pakistan relations, logic isn't necessarily the overriding factor at work. This is a relationship that is absolutely fraught and in which passions run exceedingly high, dating back literally to the birth of the two countries as two separate independent nations back in 1947 when the British colonial rulers left and partitioned the subcontinent into these two states. And there has been bitterness and resentment between these two countries almost ever since. And as you rightly point out, there have been three declared wars and one undeclared war, mostly over the province of Jammu and Kashmir, a very beautiful region, a mountainous region, a Muslim-majority region, which basically both countries want as their own and claim as their own. And the position has been that, in fact, this region is now effectively partitioned between the two countries with this kind of line of control acting as a de facto border, and which has been for decades. Also, Pakistan blames India for supporting the independence of Bangladesh, which until 1971 was actually part of Pakistan, but people in Bangladesh revolted against the Pakistani government in Islamabad. They're of a different ethnic and language group, and they wanted their own nation state based on their language, and they successfully fought and became Bangladesh. And India supported the Bangladeshi independence movement, and Pakistan still has very bitter feelings about the way that their country was split. So there is this incredible history of deep passion and bad blood. And of course, India has suffered greatly due to terrorist attacks over the last couple of decades, including a 2001 attack on the Indian parliament, the 2008 Mumbai terror attacks on two five-star hotels and the main train station in India's financial capital. And these attacks have always been blamed, and in some cases there's very concrete evidence that they were carried out by Pakistanis with the apparent support of the Pakistani military. They were Pakistani terror groups acting as proxies. So, in this relationship, passions run very, very high, which is why logic isn't necessarily the best guide to what will happen. Okay, Fahan, obviously Amy refers there to the persistent allegations that Pakistan has been behind terror attacks in India or in Indian Kashmir as well, and particularly this latest suicide attack where more than 40 people were killed. How much do you think we know about that and how much... Does Imran Khan, the current prime minister, is he in control of the kinds of groups in Pakistan that might be funding, supporting, instigating terrorism across the border in India? That's a tough one because at one level, 
the answer should be very obvious. In this case, for example, Jaishi Muhammad, the group which claimed responsibility, openly has operated in Pakistan, even though it was banned by the government some time ago, but they have had a presence here. So undoubtedly, the Indians have lots of good information to point towards this group and other groups operating out of Pakistan and claiming to be involved in different attacks inside uh, Kashmir and indeed elsewhere in India. 2008, for example, the Mumbai attack was eventually linked to Lashkar-e-Toiba, which is a Pakistan-based group. That's one part of the story. But the other part of the story which makes this a bit more complicated is that there are groups with similar identities, similar titles, which operate in different places, both within Pakistan as well as outside Pakistan. And therefore, you come to a point in time where the authorities here take the defense that these are groups with independent identities. They operate independently of each other. And therefore, if there's a group active in Kashmir, that doesn't necessarily suggest that a group by the same title based in Pakistan is controlling them on a daily basis. I think the answer lies somewhere in the middle because at the very least you can argue that there's an ideological connection. The ideological impetus comes from one group which then spreads around to others. They may be using the group in Kashmir, for example, involved in the recent terrorist attack. This group now we've heard used local explosives that they somehow or the other managed to arrange in Kashmir, but that doesn't mean that they aren't drawing on the ideology which is being spread around from another group. So I think at the end of the day, Imran Khan ought to be aware, other people are aware of the activities of these groups. The problem is that they float between Afghanistan, Pakistan, the Indian Kashmir, In the past, we've also heard of connections to ISIS in the Middle East. So eventually, whether Imran Khan or for that matter, any other decision maker in Pakistan can curb their activities 100%, I'm not sure about that. But I think if the outside world expects them to take action, I think that's a more reasonable expectation. Just moving on, Amy, I mean, what's the atmosphere in India now in the sense of the pressures on Prime Minister Narendra Modi? He's a nationalist. He's facing an election. Is the Indian media and the Indian public at large putting pressure on him to get tough, to respond, to escalate? Well, as many people noted in the aftermath of the terror attack in Kashmir that killed the 40 paramilitary police, In a way, Prime Minister Modi has put himself in a tough position because of a strike that he said that Indian forces carried out in Pakistan in 2016 in the wake of a militant attack on an Indian base. Indian forces apparently carried out ground raids over the line of control, and the Indian government said that they destroyed terror launch pads in Pakistani-held territory. And Mr. Modi has done a lot to try to make 
political capital out of that action. In fact, that surgical strike was even made into a large Bollywood movie, which had been released in January, in which members of Mr. Modi's BJP were even encouraging people to go and see the movie, which is a real action thriller, feel-good-for-the-Indians movie highlighting India's military success. So the problem is that when this terror attack occurred in Kashmir, there was a feeling that Modi was already locked into a situation where he had no choice but to respond with some kind of military action, especially with an eye on elections. Modi was once seen as kind of a shoo-in for re-election about a year ago, but in the last year, opposition parties appeared to have been gaining strength. There's a lot of discontent in rural areas because farm incomes haven't been growing as fast as other parts of the country. So Mr. Modi was seen as facing a tough election and then to have this attack on Indian troops in Kashmir, there was a feeling that he really, really had to respond. And the TV channels, India's TV news channels, tend to be extremely nationalistic and militaristic. They've really changed a lot in recent years. I think now maybe some people in India are starting to think, oh gosh, there was images of the pilot circulated today, this pilot in Pakistani custody, and maybe it's starting to dawn on people that it may not be so simple as what it looked like in the movie that they just all went and saw, and that actually things might play out to a rather different script. So there is a kind of a sense that India may be treading into dangerous waters, but at the same time, many analysts feel that because of Modi's temperament and his nature and his image of himself, he may find it difficult to back down now, and that's one of the dangers that with today's action by the Pakistani military, Mr. Modi will feel compelled to take it up one step further. Okay, and last question for Fahan. In the past, we would have expected the United States to intervene. It had a special relationship with Pakistan. But in the aftermath, I guess, of the American raid that killed Osama bin Laden on Pakistani territory, the warming of US relations with India, do you think America is in any position to play a kind of role as the outside power calming all this down, or maybe even China? The U.S. continues to be still a very important player and relations between the U.S. and Pakistan's armed forces in particular and the government here have been warming up the past two months. American officials on background have been complimenting the Pakistani authorities for helping with the reconciliation process in Afghanistan. So I think for the Americans, this is a very important moment for their own strategic reasons. They are looking for a safe exit from Afghanistan, an exit which takes them out of there with some dignity. Now, in the middle of all of this falls the latest crisis. And of course, the Americans are very keen to make certain that the Afghan project on which President Trump seems to be hoping to show off as an important success story to the American public ahead of his own re-election, that that project does not go by the wayside. So the Americans, from what I've heard today, are definitely quite active on background 
not just urging Pakistan to show some restraint, also urging Pakistan to do more on the terrorism question, at least partially respond to India's criticism. But the information floating around in Islamabad is that they've also been trying to urge restraint with the Indians, which is quite an interesting development. Amy, last thought on that. Do you think there is room for outside intervention? Is it even necessary? Yes, actually, in the past, I think India and Pakistan have been held back from giving in to their darkest impulses and worst temptations by strong international involvement that have, in some senses, literally pried them apart from conflict and found ways to diffuse and de-escalate very volatile situations. I think the problem now is that we see that the U.S. seems rather distracted, its diplomatic capacity seems rather weakened, and Britain is rather preoccupied with Brexit. So the question is whether the countries that have traditionally played the biggest role in trying to diffuse tensions when they've erupted really are adequately focused on the situation or more focused on their internal problems. And then, of course, there are these new players that have great influence like China, like Russia, like even Saudi Arabia. And while they may have leverage and they have financial leverage, it's unclear how they'll really play the game or what they'll do. Okay, well, with that thought, we'll have to leave it. But it's a situation everybody will be watching very closely in the coming days. For the moment, thanks very much for taking time from your very busy schedules. Thank you to Amy Kasman in Delhi, to Fahan Bakari in Islamabad. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.